This is Search for Truth. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, John, and as usual, I introduce our Bible teacher, Brian, who's giving us the third talk in our seven-week series called Show Me the Way. Today, Brian looks at the way of the Lord in baptism. It would appear there is some confusion and mixed ideas regarding the place of baptism in Christianity, judging by the practices and teachings of some. In all of these things, it's essential to look into the Bible and see what it truly teaches, and that's precisely what Brian will do now, so I hand over to him. Thanks, John. There's a man in the Bible, mentioned in the book of Acts, who's described as having a more exact knowledge about the way. Throughout this series, we're reminding ourselves that, originally, this was how Christianity was referred to. It was simply known as the way. The first Christians were said to belong to the way, or were followers of the way. Hardly surprising, as the one they followed had proclaimed himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. A similar expression is found in this story, narrated in chapter 18 of the book of Acts. Now, a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. One of the first things Priscilla and Aquila would have given Apollos further help on would have been the topic of Christian baptism. For Apollos only knew about the baptism of John at this stage. That's John the Baptist, of course. In the very next chapter of the book of Acts, when the Apostle Paul came across disciples who'd only been baptised with John's baptism, he baptised them in the name of the Lord Jesus, or as we have it in Matthew 28, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's one and the same name. This is what we call believer's baptism. A clear example of this is found in Acts chapter 8. Let me read from verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture he preached Jesus to him. And they went along the road, and they came to some water. And the Ethiopian said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptised? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the Ethiopian, and he baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the Ethiopian no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. This is helpful confirmation that baptism is for those who can clearly testify that Jesus Christ is their personal Saviour. Baptism is not necessary for salvation itself. Baptism is something we do, it's a work, and so it cannot save us, as the Bible plainly teaches that we are not saved by works. And that story in Acts chapter 8 is also revealing as to how the baptism was conducted, since we read that they went down into the water and afterwards came up out of the water. This description is consistent with the meaning of the biblical word for baptism being to dip as well as being consistent with the explanation of the significance of baptism in Romans 6, which talks in terms of being buried with Christ in water as a symbol of death, burial and resurrection. Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose on the third day, 
And for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death is our death, in that it's paid sin's penalty for us. So when we take a public stand in believer's baptism, we're identifying with the risen Jesus as Lord of our life, and we're saying that we're dying to the old way of living and rising to a new way of living, no longer living for ourselves, but to do our Lord's will and to please him, not ourselves. In believer's baptism, we make a visible public statement of the unseen faith that's in our heart and which has already saved us. It's as if we're telling all those who are there to witness the event that we're under new management. We're displaying our new Christian identity as being no longer in Adam, but now in Christ. Our old or former self has gone and the new has come. Baptism shows our intention to live or walk in the old Bible language, to walk in that newness of life, the new life which we received when we believed in Christ. At salvation, we understand that our former self died with Christ, and we became a new person, effective from that time of our conversion. So then, if we live true to our baptism, day by day we'll want to be conscious of putting away from us the old behaviours and vices, and living a new quality of life for the Lord. So in our water baptism, we've a reminder brought to us of our need to display our new Christian identity as disciples of Jesus Christ, even as we grow in our Christian discipleship. We also declare our commitment to live for the Saviour who died for us. Talking about commitment, I once heard my friend Ed tell a true story, which I've always remembered as an illustration of commitment, the type of commitment involved in following Christ. In Israel one day, Ed was talking to an Israeli helicopter pilot. The pilot told him how he'd been involved in an accident. His helicopter had flown too near the side wall of the valley, or chasm, and the rotors had struck the rocks. It had come crashing out of the sky. The pilot obviously had survived, but one of the rotors had almost sliced his leg off. The surgeon wanted to amputate it, saying it was so badly damaged it would be useless. But the pilot had begged that he be allowed to keep his leg. As soon as he was able, he got a bicycle and strapped his dead leg to one pedal and pedalled away with his good leg. He did this day after day for a long, long time. Slowly, his damaged leg began to gain power, and he was able to rejoin active service. While he was standing talking to Ed, his alarm sounded. Duty was calling. At that very moment, his presence was required in the air due to some threat against Israel's borders. Ed says, that man ran across the car park to his helicopter. And then he added, now that's what I call commitment. Jesus Christ says in Luke 9 verse 23, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Baptism is the way that we begin to show that same calibre of commitment to the cause of Christ. But as well as displaying our Christian identity, and as well as declaring our commitment to follow the Lord Jesus, believer's baptism also demonstrates our love for the Saviour who first loved us. Jesus said, it's John 14 verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And baptism is one of his commands to us, one that we should obey as soon as we are sure our sins are all forgiven through faith in Jesus' name. 
the Lord commanded his first disciples to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, he said, to observe all that I commanded you. That's Matthew 28 in the last few verses, of course. And they did that. For as we've seen, Paul commanded unbaptized believers to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, the single name of the triune God. When we keep this command, like any other, we show our love to the Lord. In that sense, baptism becomes a test of our love for the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. I remember hearing about an unusual test of love. A certain Lieutenant Blandford had taken a book from among the hundreds of army library books at his Florida training camp. In it, he discovered handwritten notes in a woman's writing. He'd always hated that habit of writing in books, but somehow these comments were different, full of insight. He'd never believed that a woman could see into a man's heart so tenderly, so understandingly. Her name was written at the front also. It was Hollis Maynell. So he'd got hold of a New York City telephone book and found her address. He'd written and she'd answered. Next day he'd been shipped out, so they'd gone on writing. For 13 months she'd faithfully replied, and more than replied. When his letters did not arrive, she wrote anyway, and now he believed that he loved her and that she loved him. But she'd refused all his requests to send him her photograph. No, don't ask for my picture, she said, but when you come to New York, you'll see me, and then you'll make your decision. Now at last, home from his tour of duty, the time had come. As arranged, he was standing under the clock at the Grand Central Station in New York, waiting for the appointed hour of six o'clock to arrive, and waiting for his first meeting with Hollis Minnell, whom he was to recognise by the red rose she'd be wearing in her lapel. At one minute to six, he noticed a young woman coming towards him. Her figure was long and slim. Her blonde hair lay back in curls. Her eyes blue as flowers. Dressed in a pale green suit, she was like springtime come alive. He started towards her, entirely forgetting to notice that she wasn't wearing a rose. And as he moved, a small, provocative smile curved her lips. Going my way, soldier? she murmured. Uncontrollably, he made one step closer to her. Then he saw Hollis Maynell. She was standing almost directly behind the girl, a woman well past forty, her greying hair tucked under a worn hat. She was more than plump. Her thick ankled feet were thrust into low-heeled shoes, but she wore a red rose in the rumpled lapel of her brown coat. The girl in the green suit was walking quickly away, Blanford felt as though he was being split in two, so keen was his desire to follow the girl in green. Yet so deep was his longing for the woman whose spirit had truly upheld his own. Her pale, plump face was gentle and sensible. He could see that now. Her grey eyes had a warm, kindly twinkle. This would not be love, but it would be something perhaps even rarer than love, a friendship for which he had been and must ever be grateful. He squared his broad shoulders, saluted, and said, I'm Lieutenant John Blantford, and you, you are Miss Maynell. I'm so glad you could meet me. May I take you to dinner? 
The woman's face broadened into a tolerant smile. I don't know what this is all about, son, she answered. That young lady in the green suit, the one who just went by, begged me to wear this rose on my coat, and she said that if you asked me to go out with you, I should tell you that she's waiting for you in that big restaurant across the street. She said it was some kind of test. Now I want you to think of baptism as a test. Since it's a command of the Lord Jesus, whether we submit to water baptism or not, it's really his test of the reality of our love for him. May I ask, have you proved and demonstrated your love? Have you declared your commitment? Have you displayed your Christian identity? All by going through the waters of baptism. No? Then may I ask, what's hindering you? Thanks, Brian. That was interesting. Now, if you want to take today's talk further, we've a free transcript booklet available for this series, and it includes all the Bible verses Brian referred to. If you'd like a booklet sent, or some for group study, please contact us. Ask for the title, Show Me The Way. And if you're using the post, this is the address. Search for Truth, PO Box 111, Lee, spelt L-E-I-G-H, and the postcode is WN7-1WJ-ENGLAND. The email address is sft at churchesofgod.info And at our website, you may be interested to access other programmes and helpful material. It can be found at www.searchfortruth.org.uk I hope you found uh, today's talk enjoyable and helpful. Please join us again next week when we'll be taking a look at what it means to belong to the way. Until then, it's very best wishes from Brian... David, our singers, and me, John. Thanks for listening, and may God richly bless you.